Thanks for listening to A Long Time in Finance with Jonathan Ford and Neil Collins in partnership with Briefcase News, the service that brings intelligent curation and analysis to your media monitor. As mortgage rates headed up to 6% in the past few days, the squawks coming from Britain's overextended mortgage borrowers have been getting ever louder. There's no longer much doubt that we're heading for some sort of crunch, but the question is how big it will be. So we thought we'd take a historical look at the four great housing crunches of the past half century and ask what lessons we can learn from them and what guide they may give to what will happen this time round. We're talking here about the crises of the 70s, in the mid-70s, and then at the end of the 70s, in the early 80s, then the post Lawson bubble bust of the early 90s and then 2008 the great financial crisis and we're very pleased to be joined today by Neil Hudson a housing market analyst at Built Place who is a real expert on this subject and will help to unpick what's been going on so welcome Neil. Thank you very much it's great to join you. Well look let's start by looking at these four historic crises and asking what can we learn from them? How has the market changed? Do they provide much guide to what might happen in future? I suppose the first thing to say is, to be honest, I've only got professional experience of the latest one. The first three are based on my uh, analysis of historic statistics and reading old books. And of course, most of us have actually lived through it in a long no, time. Don't worry, we've got, we've, got, we've got the father time here to give us a readout on the 70s. I mean, I suppose each housing downturn is unique in its own way. And um, certainly the first two of the sort of modern housing market in the 70s were uh, slightly different in the sense that we didn't actually see nominal price falls. House prices kept rising. It was only when we actually looked at the inflationary environment that we saw any uh, actual price falls. That said, there were still kind of real world implications in terms of you know fallout on uh, households and also businesses involved in the real estate sector. I suppose the kind of consistent theme throughout all of them that's been picked up is the role of inflation and particularly energy costs and uh, interest rates, both rises and falls in them, and policy mistakes. Those three factors are pretty consistent across the four, and they've been a pretty consistent theme of the last 12 months as well. Yes, I can remember the first one when the trick was to find somebody who would lend you the money because mortgages were extremely hard to get. There was a sort of closed shop between the building societies, but there were also mortgage brokers who for a fee could navigate their way around the system. And the other thing that was very different then was that house prices were a much lower multiple of income. Once you got the mortgage and you'd... uh, you got the house, the uh, the financial pain was pretty limited. Yes, and an even more extreme example of the exclusion that was present was if you were a single woman, even if you had a professional job, you were very unlikely to be able to get a mortgage on your own. It, it was a much more uh, restricted market. And as you mentioned, building societies were very much the, the players in the market. Uh, the the high street banks were not active in lend- mortgage lending at that point in time. Mm. One of the things which has definitely changed since the 70s, maybe the certainly the 80s and 90s, 
is that the number of transactions in the market has gone down. And that, that, I guess, is a function of less housing supply, maybe tighter underwriting standards. But does that mean that people are deeper into their mortgages today on average than they were in the past? So there are now, uh, with our ageing population, many more people who own their home outright. Mm. And so a large proportion of those people who own a home do it do so without a mortgage and actually the number of outstanding mortgages is uh, down at similar numbers to the numbers that we saw in the late 1980s and well below their peak in 2003. In that sense there are far fewer people who are going to be hit by rising mortgage rates but the people who are active in the market are more likely to borrow larger multiples of their income. But we've also, um, in terms of transactions, we've seen, I think the peak in transactions was in fact due to a policy mistake in the late 1980s when the uh, abolition of dual income mortgage interest relief at source relief was uh, pre-announced but delayed by six months. And we saw an almighty rush of people trying to buy, pulling together their MIRAS. It led to a massive spike in transactions. And I think it was the third quarter of 1988. And it wasn't that long after that, that we then saw the housing market crash. That was kind of the, the high watermark in terms of transactions. And progressively after every financial crisis and housing market downturn, we've seen fewer and fewer homes transacted to the point where nowadays it's maybe only about five, six percent of private housing stock that transacts and uh, albeit outside of the abnormal times when we have stamp duty holidays like we did back in 2021. Which is the clue of course one reason why the volume has fallen so far that the transaction costs are now very substantial and a great disincentive to uh, to move unless you have pressing reasons to do so. Yes so with that older population owning their home outright they're far less likely to move anyway we've then got the additional tax burden that makes it less financially uh, realistic to move um, I think one of the factors also gets missed is that a lot of those older people who own the home outright although some newspapers might like to talk about those people living in their two million pound properties who are under occupying it the vast majority of retirees actually live in the average price property their home is worth maybe 300 350,000 pounds and actually when you look at that and the options that you might have to downsize, it makes very little economic sense, especially then when you add in the tax on top of it. I think we've been talking so far mainly about owner occupiers, but what about the private rental market? Is that a major factor in the UK mortgage market? And these must be at much lower loan to value percentages. What risk does it pose to the market? pretty fundamental change in the market was you know the introduction of the buy to let mortgage in the 1990s and then it really took off in the 2000s we've actually seen activity by buy to let investors fall off over the last few years they've been hit by the three percent additional stamp duty rates which has made it slightly less appealing and uh, there's also the changes to the income relief which have incentivized some landlords to exit one of the big problems with the sector is actually there's just a real lack of public data on the state of it and so there's kind of varying sources on exactly how indebted landlords are but it does look like there is still a fair amount of mortgage lending held against rental properties they're much more likely to be on interest only mortgages and there's certainly a lot of squealing from lobby groups about the amount of pressure that they're under financially given 
tax changes, regulatory changes around needing to improve the quality of the homes and just general interest rate rises. And so it's definitely a, a sector that I think is a bigger risk than your uh, your kind of normal homeowner mortgage at the moment. And I think it's one where we'll perhaps see lenders less willing to offer the kind of financial support that we're beginning to see them offer to your typical homeowning household. Let's let's talk a bit about where we are now and in this particular downturn, which the thing that's driving it and concerning people is obviously the level of interest rates and mortgage rates going up. One feature, I suppose, is that everyone is so much more leveraged that the transmission mechanism becomes much more highly geared. So it doesn't take a very large increase in rates to cause extreme distress for borrowers. Where are we compared with past downturns in in that? So in terms of comparisons, I think kind of the most immediate thing to say is that unlike the 1980s or the mid 2000s, there's very few signs of what I would classify as a mortgage bubble. So there's not the endowment mortgages or the 110% loan to values of borrowing more than the value of your property type mortgages that we saw in the 1980s or the self-certification mortgages where you or your broker make up your income on the application form or you know the very high loan to value mortgages that we saw in the 2000s. There's there's very little signs of those kinds of stresses in the mortgage market. The people who have been able to borrow are probably some of the best quality borrowers we've had in the history of the modern mortgage market. They are stress tested at higher mortgage rates. Up until recently, it was your standard variable rate plus three percentage points. More recently, that's fallen to one percentage point. But lenders would go through your bank account line by line, figuring out what you could uh, afford. And so in theory, the, the market is a lot more robust, but there's one metric that has changed and it is how much people are borrowing relative to their incomes. So back in the 1970s and 1980s, you would normally only be able to borrow on average about two times your income. You might get up to two and a half times. These days, the average, certainly up until recently, has been around three and a half times income with many borrowers borrowing up to the soft cap of four and a half times. So they are borrowing far more than they used to. That's very affordable when mortgage rates are 2% or less, as they have been recently. But when mortgage rates go up really quite sharply to the 6% we're seeing at the moment, that becomes a pretty severe burden in terms of the repayment. So if you're there and you're coming to the end of your fixed rate mortgage and you know maybe you haven't seen much income growth over the two or the five years that you've been fixed for, or maybe when you bought you had, uh, it was the two of you on full-time salaries, five years later, one of you is full-time, one of you is part-time, you've got a couple of kids and childcare costs, so your household income's a bit more stretched. There's going to be a real pressure for some of those borrowers when they um, they come out. And certainly for some of those groups, we could see the stress in terms of what their mortgage repayments cost as a proportion of their income, certainly hitting the levels that we saw in 2007 and possibly even those levels that we saw in the late 1980s. I think we should keep a bit of sense of perspective here because what proportion of those with a mortgage 
are in the sort of position that you've just described. So it's going to be very much those who have bought recently. You know, when I say recently, I say over the last two to three years. Sure, but do you think this is 40%, 20%, 10%? I don't have the exact numbers right now, but we know that a pretty significant chunk of new lending over the last few years has been done at three times income or higher. And one of the big problems that we don't have much clarity on is exactly how people's circumstances have changed since they first borrowed that and are coming to the end of their fixed rate period. So there's a great deal of uncertainty about exactly what sort of situation many of these people are going to be exiting off of a sub 2% mortgage rate and into a 6% mortgage rate environment and exactly how they'll be affected. But there are going to be some pretty... Uh, serious effects for a significant proportion, I'll call it. You know, I'm kind of, I'm thinking more than 10%, but, you know, probably less than 75%. Yeah, I would you know, bet it, it's less than 20%, actually. And I think that those are the ones where their sores are going to be exposed in the press and will raise the pressure on the government to step in and do something stupid. Uh, almost certainly they will. When you talk about a very high percentage of people's income, we're talking here about 1990 levels of what? About 30% of income? Mid-2000s would be 25% of income, and we saw it peak at around about 30% of gross income. Okay. Just to go back to the people who might be in the firing line here, there is a question of how this sort of pain will be distributed, and there are some kind of types of mortgage holder who are seen as particularly vulnerable, like uh, shared ownership and help to buy people who participated in the government's very generous help to buy scheme. Talk what, about policy what, errors. What do you? What's your perspective on that? I think those are the groups that we should be particularly worried about. They're perhaps not a systematic risk to the mortgage market or the housing market, but in terms of the impact that they're going to feel, it's going to be much higher. So shared ownership, they are being hit by both the increase in mortgage rates and also by the increase in their rents quite often linked to uh, inflation. Quite often they're, they're also caught up in other issues around uh, the some of the failings of shared ownership, which certainly in its previous form was called by a housing lawyer, neither shared nor ownership, referring to your legal position on in terms of ownership and then also the fact that you were fully responsible for your repairs and maintenance. The, the latest version of shared ownership is slightly improved, but also on help to buy. And I think my particular fear around help to buy is on the London version of the scheme. So help to buy equity loan, where you were provided with a 40% equity loan to buy a new build home in London. We've already seen people struggling. You know, they are quite possibly going to be caught not just by the increase in interest rates having an effect on their cost, but, you know, there's an overlap there with the cladding crisis and the leasehold crisis around service charges and things like that. So there are these groups of people that were incentivized by government policies over the last decades to perhaps maybe get themselves into a financial situation that they didn't understand the full consequences of. And I think it's those people that any government support should very much be targeted at rather than the broader mortgage market as a whole. I must say, if I was in that position, I would be trying to organise a challenge to the government and arguing that they'd been missold these things, that the government, after all, expected interest rates to stay at 2% because that was their target and that's what they said. They could marshal quite a good and embarrassing case against the government and I'd be astonished if they don't actually do so. Can we just talk about one other aspect, the long-term trend in 
repossessions, so banks repossessing properties, which has really been to fall. And if you go back to the 70s or certainly the 90s, you see very high repossessions in the early 90s. But in 2008, despite a real crunch in 2008-9, it's significantly lower. And there's also the fact that the banks didn't then throw all the property on the market, but warehoused it to protect prices. Do you think that we'll see a continuation of that with banks showing this sort of forbearance and trying to protect prices where they can? Yes, I think we'll see it to a really extreme extent. You know, even if we see arrears rising significantly, the last thing a lender wants to do these days is repossess a home. They have a duty of care to consumers these days, which they didn't have previously. I think we're going to see the stress build up in arrears. But uh, in terms of homes actually being repossessed, I think the bigger danger perhaps now is rather than repossessions is maybe people trying to get ahead of the process. So they may be looking at how much their mortgage costs are going to be when they roll off their fixed rate period and thinking, I just cannot deal with that. I'm going to try and sell now in order to get out before it becomes a problem for me. So that is perhaps where we'll see more of the stress in the housing market. But in terms of the actual numbers, I would be very surprised if we see them rise anywhere near the levels we saw following the financial crisis. One key difference between then and now, certainly of the earlier crises, is of course the lenders are now all banks essentially. And in the past they were building societies which generally match deposits with advances. Banks are much more sophisticated organisations. At the same time, they are much more vulnerable, it seems to me, to political pressure. Building societies were always seen as generally benign organisations. Banks are generally seen as money-grabbing and voracious carnivores. They have very substantial reserves. And if they start being heavy-handed with the borrowers who are in trouble, then the government might be tempted to start taking some of those reserves off them. Can I, can I just turn to the question of house prices very high, which is, as you've seen with the, or we've seen with the climb in, in loan-to-income values. How big do you think the falls in prices could be? Do you think we'll go sideways? Do you think there could be a 1990s-style correction? So I don't do explicit forecasts. But I, 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 <laughs> what a sensible man. <laughs> <laughs> it's perhaps more interesting to kind of look at and see what has happened. And, mm. you know, we've clearly gone from already gone from mortgage rates from 2% to 4%. Mm. You know, if we kind of take where they were a couple of months ago. If you kind of plug it into mortgage calculations, that would suggest that you might expect the borrowing capacity, so hence house prices of, of a mortgage borrower to fall by about 15%. But what we've actually seen is for those people who are still active in the market right now, and there are fewer of them than this time last year, they're actually taking a hit on their repayments. So rather than paying around 17 or 18 percent of their gross income on repayments when they first take out a mortgage, it's more like 20, 21 percent. And that has offset the rise in mortgage rates. So we've only really seen a price fall of around 4 percent. The big danger is now with mortgage rates at 6 percent can those new borrowers push their repayments even higher than 20, 21%? Or is that a kind of limit? If it is a limit, then that might be where we begin to see some double digit price falls. The big danger is, and you know, the point at which we begin to see big price falls is 
if we see a recession and we start to see unemployment rising. And that would be the trigger for something that looks a bit more like the last two crises, the financial crisis and the uh, late 80s, early 90s. And what does stagnation mean for the government's house building targets? It's a big issue for them. Certainly, when you look at the results and updates from the listed house builders, they're struggling at the moment. Their sales rates aren't quite as bad as they were in over the winter. They have improved, but they're offsetting a lot of that by doing bulk sales. If mortgage rates stay at 6%, then I think we're going to see a more extreme version of that. And certainly, there's a lot of lobbying at the moment for a replacement to the help to buy equity loan scheme, which has now ended and contributed to the fall in sales activity. And I suspect a lot of house builders will be looking quite eagerly towards the autumn statement in the hope that there is a package for them to help out. But uh, I also understand that the, the last thing that they want to happen is for the government to actually call it help to buy. They'd quite like them to call it something else. I think last time it was called help to buy builders yachts. What do you think, Neil, we we should do? Are there sensible things that could be done to help this situation without, for example, just yet more help to buy governments of subsidies? Largesse. We're a little bit opposed to those on this podcast, I'm afraid. (laughs) The first question that is unanswered in my mind is the extent to which inflation, is it transitory or are we stuck with a higher level of inflation for Mm. longer and so higher mortgage rates? well interest rates generally and my hope would be that it's transitory and you know I'd, I'd maybe hope that today the inflation numbers this week had been a bit better than expected they came in worse maybe next month might surprise us and in terms of what could be done I, you know I think I agree in terms of the general homeowner mortgages this is the way that the pain plays through the system unfortunately and it might not be quite as intended you know it was perhaps better designed for when it had a broader effect across a greater proportion of the population than now but you could possibly go down the route of tax rather than interest rate rises to try and get target some of those people who are less mortgage dependent but i suspect that's politically impossible so i think the thing that you need to do right now is on the homeowner side is target those groups who are in more distress and we've talked about shared owners and the help to buy but i think the key thing as well here is you know we're i'm talking about us panicking because mortgage holders might see their repayments going up to 25 percent of income or 30 percent of income 30 percent of income is what private renters have been spending for the last decade in this country you know when you look at the average and some have been spending even more Mm. and so actually in terms of the stresses in in the economy and the housing market specifically and the drag on in terms of consumer spending and stuff, improving the quality and security of the private rented sector, delivering more homes of all tenures, particularly those uh, that target lower income households, mm. and particularly in light of you know the quite likely falls in construction and house building activity, more targeted stuff like that is the way that we need to go. But clearly it's a difficult environment to make those sorts of big decisions given the pressures that we're under. Right. They're all very sensible proposals, but of course they're not exactly headline grabbing and headlines is what politicians nowadays want to grab. I know you don't do forecasts, Neil, but think forward 20 years. Do you think people will look back on this period and bracket it with those four housing crises we started with, the ones from the 70s, the 90s and the 2000s, 
Or do you think this will be another little tiny blip you can barely see in the upward march? I think in terms of house prices, it might look like a little blip. In terms of history, it's going to look like the point where we began to realise that we'd wasted the last decade of low interest rates and allowed it to overinflate house prices while underinvesting in the public infrastructure. A yeah. sad commentary on the great country we live in. I'm but... afraid so. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't disagree with it. I wish I could. That was A Long Time in Finance with Jonathan Ford and Neil Collins. Production and editing by Nick Hilton. And our sponsorship partner is Briefcase.News. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review it on your podcast app as that will help new listeners find us.